Let's open our Bibles today to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Uh, the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Uh, you go toward the, the back of your Bibles and uh, you'll get, uh, if you go all the way to the end and start backing up, you're going to come to some smaller letters in the New Testament and eventually come there to 1 Peter and I ask you to find your place there in chapter 1. In many ways, uh, life is roaring again. I, I'm certain that you've picked up on it when you're out in town, when you're going places, maybe you're feeling it in your schedules that uh, certainly COVID is not over, but there is a strong, strong push for life to be absolutely full speed again. And the world is coming after our hearts. Uh, there's so many things that are out there uh, opportunities that maybe we've not had in a long time, opportunities to travel, uh, just wide open when it comes to sports, uh, wide open when it comes to uh, a whole new set of meetings, a whole new set of going places, uh, opportunities to get together with people that we haven't seen in a long time. And, and so many of those things are fun and good and even things that I'm uh, it, it's very much a part of our life and I'm using time for but one of the things that I'm realizing and I think you're probably realizing too is that there are a different there there's there's a thousand different things to say yes to and for a while we were saying no to so many things and so it even makes it more tempting to say yes to everything right now and there's a real battle that goes on with that have you noticed? And the, the real battle is, what is it that we're going to give our heart to? What is it that we're going to give our time to? And there is, there is no way, as much as we want to convince ourselves, there's no way we can say yes to everything. And we don't need to say yes to everything. And we still need to say no to some things. We need to say yes to the right things. We see, need to say no to the wrong things. And we, we've got to figure out where to give our heart. Um, a, a divided hearts will, will create a lot of divided results. And uh, we can't go half-hearted at a lot of different things. We need to figure out what we will be whole-hearted about. Um, what's that going to be? That's what I want to talk to you about over the next five weeks Today, though, we're starting in this message that I want to call wholehearted living. Wholehearted living. How do we live wholeheartedly toward the things that matter most? Um, our family right now is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't want to be overly dramatic, but that's reality. We're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23 mentions that phrase, the valley of the shadow of death. We'll fear no evil. But as you walk through uh, this valley of the shadow of death, it, it does some things in your heart and mind. In September of last year, my dad was diagnosed with liver cancer. Uh, in November of last year, after a brief two-week battle with COVID pneumonia, 
Carla's dad passed away. Then on March 17th, a Wednesday, just about four weeks ago, my dad almost died right in front of me. I stood beside him in an emergency room with four doctors and five nurses with his blood pressure plummeting. A doctor asked me to step out into the hall and I had that conversation that I really never saw coming where he said to me, hey, this could go either way and I need to know what your family's story is about a DNR. Will we resuscitate your dad if he keeps going down? Well, he, five units of blood later and multiple little bags of some kind of clear medicine they were pumping into him and a whole lot of answered prayers. He's, he's climbing out of that. But in all of that, with Carla's dad passing and the changes in my dad's health, it has cast that shadow of death over our family. You think about things differently. You evaluate things differently. You talk about things that you you really maybe hadn't talked about before. I've sat beside my dad's bed and talked to him about songs that he would like to have sung at his funeral. We've talked about grave plots and, and places where funerals would be. We've, we've talked about things that he's brought up that he said he would do different. And he's talked about the things that he hopes he still gets to do in the days ahead. As we've, as, we've, as we've walked through those kinds of conversations, I've found myself approaching times like this of preaching God's word where I'm saying, Lord, what am I doing and what am I going to be wholehearted about? And I realize that um, in a new and fresh way that I want to be wholehearted about the things that matter most. And the things that matter most are the things that last the longest. And what lasts the longest are those things that last forever. And so I want to invite you into a, a journey. Now, my, my, my story and our family's story is not unique to a lot of you. It's unique to us. We've never walked through it before, but it's not unique to a lot of you. A lot of you have very similar stories and even harder stories. You've walked through that valley a long time ago. Some of you are walking through it right now ahead of us, and we're learning from you. For some, it's in the days ahead. But over these days, could we kind of recalibrate? Could we come to a, a point where we're saying, Lord, we've, we've got a life to live that you've given us. We can only be wholehearted about a very small amount of things. And, and, and what does that look like? And, and let us live wholeheartedly about the things that matter most. And I'm arguing with you today and saying that the things that matter most are the things that last the longest. And what lasts the longest are the things that are eternal. I want you to fill in this blank with me. Uh, he, is, he is wholehearted when it comes to, or she is wholehearted when it comes to, and think about a person. Maybe think about your life. Put your name there. Carlos is wholehearted when it comes to fill in the blank. It's what goes in that blank that I'm concerned about. 
It's me looking at Carlos and saying, when it comes to Carlos, I'm wholehearted about what's going to go there. And for your life, you put your name there as a teenager or a college student or a young single or a middle-aged adult or a senior adult. You would say your name, you're wholehearted about what? I want to get that blank filled in right. It's, it's estimated that the word heart is used in Scripture almost 900 times. And a, and a word that is used in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, almost 900 times is certainly important to the Lord. And, and that word heart is often used uh, talking about being wholehearted. Well, I believe our Creator's desire, our Heavenly Father's desire is that we would be wholehearted in our pursuit of Him, in a life lived for Him. Matthew 6, really summarizes this. It's a, it's a summary verse of everything I'm talking about today and over these next five weeks. Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And, and, and when I think of wholehearted, and especially wholeheartedly following Christ, I'm thinking of a life that increasingly puts Christ first over all things that increasingly seeks the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, seeks that first in increasing measure over all other things. And it's easy for us to, uh, to, to seek possessions or seek shelter or seek clothing or seek food or seek our work or seek a lot of temporary things first and, and worry about those things. And in the context of worry and anxiety and shelter and food and clothing, Jesus goes right into that and he says, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all those things, they'll, they'll come. They'll fall into place. They'll find their rightful position and you will have what you need just like the sparrows do and just like the lilies do. Well, Today, when we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, I, I want you to see that what we have in Jesus Christ really compels wholehearted living. And when we pause long enough, we get still long enough to see what we have in the new life of uh, a new life with Christ, we'll be compelled to live wholeheartedly for Him. And so let me let me give you really a, a, a sermon in a sentence. And the sermon in a sentence is this, the blessings that come, the blessings that come when we are born again compel us to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. So we need to know what those blessings are. We need to be reminded of what those blessings are. We need to know what we have when we're born again and when we see that and just kind of soak in that and absorb that and let that uh, affect us, you'll find this growing desire to want to go after that wholeheartedly, go after him wholeheartedly because we see that's important because those are the things that last forever. We'll also see that um, wholehearted living is demonstrated by some fruit. And, uh, and we'll look at that at the very close today. Um, why, would we, why would we go after Jesus wholeheartedly? 
Look with me, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Peter's writing to believers that have been scattered across this uh, Middle Eastern region. Pick up in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. If you go on and read in 1 Peter chapter 1, what we find out is that great promise that there are two things that last forever, and that's the word of God and the souls of men. And what we find out here right at the very beginning is that by being born again, we have the salvation of our souls. Now, let me, let me talk to you for just a few minutes about the blessings that come with being born again. You remember that old rock and roll song that said, uh, born to be wild? And even saying that phrase, some of you, you just pick up the beat right away and it'll be stuck in your mind maybe the rest of the day. Born to be wild, born, you know how it goes. You're ruined now. You want to hear another thing? But listen, what these verses tell us is, is that we're born to something better. We're born to something more. He says, we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about the blessings of being born again that compel us to live wholeheartedly for him, there are three of those that we see right here in 1 Peter. Three of those blessings. Number one is a living hope. When you are born again, what do I mean by that? I mean, you have new life. How are you born again? How do you have new life? You place your faith in Jesus Christ. You turn to the one who died, who was buried, and who rose again on the third day. You, you believe in him. And when you believe in him, when you trust him, scripture calls that being born again. You're born once biologically. It's a flesh birth, it's birth by water. It, it, but we're, when you trust Christ, the Bible speaks of us being now born again or born twice and that's born of the spirit. And, and, and this picture here, Peter's showing to believers, he's saying, look, you got a new life when your faith came. When, when you believed in Jesus, when you trust in Jesus, it was like a new birth. It was like a new life. You get to start again. And the blessing that comes with that is a living hope. And, and here's that living hope. He says, you, you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We came through Easter a couple of weeks ago and we get to Easter as believers so many times. Maybe you're like me and say, now what? 
he, he died on the cross. He was buried. We celebrated his resurrection. Now what do we do? Well, Simon Peter says, here's what you do. You live with this hope. What hope? A living hope. Where do you get a living hope? You get a living hope because Jesus Christ is alive. He did die, but he didn't stay dead. He was buried, but he didn't stay buried. He rose on the third day. He, we celebrate that on an on a Easter Sunday. He's alive, and then he, he didn't die again. He ascended to heaven. What does that mean? That means he's still alive. That means for us that our hope is alive. What does that look like? Think about it in this way. When we're hopeful, we're believing that things that are hard or difficult or not right are going to ease up or get better, change. Uh, what looks hard is, is, is going to be solved. Um, we, we look out there and we think there's going to be this desired outcome. It's coming. There's a hope in what's ahead. It doesn't look like it right now, according to the circumstances, but I've got hope that it's going to change and be better. Well, he says that you and I, because of Jesus having been born again, living in this life, now have a hope that's alive. Our hope is not a philosophical hope we've not reasoned things out in the world and say because a is true and b is true you put these together and it gives us this outcome of c therefore i can have hope i have a philosophical hope about life that's not the hope we have it's not a strategic hope it's not a hope where we say if i do this and i do this and then over here i'll add this enough times over time then I have hope that it's going to work out. Like It's not a strategic hope. It's, it's, not a, it's not an informational hope. It's not that if I can learn so much and I can gather enough information and enough understanding about life and circumstances, then I have hope that I'm going to be able to figure it out. It's not a philosophical hope. It's not a strategic hope. It's not an informational hope. What you and I have is a living hope. What that means is, is that somebody has gone through what we have in front of us and they have lived to tell about it. They've survived through it. They've overcome it. They've defeated it. That's what Jesus did and he lives to tell about it. And so what you and I have is someone who's alive that gives us the hope that we can go through what he's, we can face the grave, we can face death, we can face eternity and have a hope that we'll live through it because we have a living hope. If someone has cancer and someone comes to you and they say, I have this medicine that I'm going to give you and we believe it will heal you. And you may say, okay, how do you know? So well, we have uh, enough lab work to prove that it, it could have some success. What might we say? Has anyone else ever had this medicine? Yes. Did they live? They didn't, but we still believe this medicine will help you. What do you have? You don't have a living hope. You have a, 
a scientific hope or a philosophical hope or informational hope. But if they say to you, yes, 10 people have taken this medicine and all 10 people are now cured of that cancer, what do we have? We're like, we got a living hope. Someone has lived through it. They've been there. They've done it. And, it, and it's made a difference. And that's, the, that's what we have. When we're born again, we have a hope that's alive. Now, here's the second blessing. We have a lasting inheritance. He, he goes on and he says in verse 6, um, uh, sorry, verse 4, You have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Here's the second blessing. When you're born again, you get a living hope. Jesus Christ is alive, giving you hope that you too will live forever. Secondly, you get a lasting inheritance. When you're born into a family once, you, you, you get some things. And maybe when that, a family member, a dad or a mom or a granddad or a grandmother dies, there may be an inheritance that is left for you. What he's saying here is, is that when we're born again, we receive an inheritance. It, it becomes ours then. And, and, and we, when we're, we become Christ, we become, the Bible says, joint heirs with him. And there's not a lot of specifics of saying this is the amount of your inheritance or this is what your inheritance is, but it is an eternal inheritance that we have for eternity. And he gives three descriptors of the inheritance that we get as children of God. He says, it's an inheritance that's imperishable an inheritance that's undefiled, and an inheritance that's unfading. Those are amazing words. He's saying for us, when, when we head into eternity, when life here on this earth is over, and, and we go into eternity, there's an inheritance that's awaiting, to, uh, awaiting us as children of God that over time will never perish, never be defiled, and will never fade. It's a lasting inheritance. An imperishable inheritance. That word imperishable is a word that comes from a word that, that is um, like something that becomes wasted, uh, wasteful, no longer of use. Uh, n- n- it doesn't have value. It, it's, you would look at it and just say, maybe you look at a piece of property and, and you would say, wow, look at that piece of property. It's a wasteland. And what we're saying is there's, there's no life there. There's no activity there. There's, it, it's not good for anything anymore. A few months ago, we drove through an area in South Georgia and, and a panhandle of Florida that a hurricane had hit more than two years ago. As we drove through that area, we began to just still see houses with roofs missing, a whole school inside a chain-link fence with grass growing up trees bent and broken and laying over and root systems exposed and cars just rusting piled against trees and and it was like we would say that's a wasteland 
and things that had been at one time worth something now have, have perished. And, and he said, this, this inheritance that's ahead for us for eternity, it, it will never be laid waste. It, it, will, it is imperishable. Second word, undefiled. That's a word that has to do with being spoiled or uh, in a spiritual sense, touched by sin. And he says, our inheritance will, will never spoil. It'll never be ruined. It, it will, it's never been touched by sin. And then unfading. We, we know what it's like for something to fade. Uh, we have a shiny new paint on a car and it can fade. We can have a, uh, a real uh, beautiful house and the paint fades. You may uh, throw a paper in the back seat of your car, the back window of your car, and come out later and find what used to be brilliant red is now a light pink. It's just, it's faded over time. And he's saying this, what we get when we're born again is a living hope and a lasting inheritance that, that time and the elements and sin uh, cannot touch. That's yours because of who you are in Jesus Christ. I think in my own life that no one is enjoying a truck more than I'm enjoying a truck right now. I mean, I just, when I, it's a party every time I get in it. I, I just, I love driving it. And man, I've had opportunity, a dozen trips to uh, North Alabama and back. It feels like over the last three or four months and I keep it washed and, and I see the shine and I'm guilty of getting out of it. And looking back, just a glance at it when I'm walking away, I, I know I am. But here's, here's reality. One day, it's going to have a dent in it. One day, it's going to have a scratch. One day, it's going to lose its shine. One day, the paint's going to chip. I, I, one, one day, it's going to fade. It's going to perish. And it'll go away. It's just an earthly treasure. A temporary treasure. But he says what we have when we're born again is an inheritance that never fades, never goes away. It lasts forever. And just a word, what might that inheritance be? I think you could summarize it in two words, heaven and him. Heaven and him. Our lasting inheritance, I believe, is simply but powerfully being in heaven forever with him, Jesus Christ. There's a third gift we get, a third blessing when we're born again. We get a living hope, we get a lasting inheritance, and we get a ready salvation. Look at it. He says, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We, we have this living hope and this lasting inheritance. It's guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. When you're born again, when you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you have this living hope, and you have this lasting inheritance, 
you also possess a ready salvation, a prepared salvation. He says a, ready salv- a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's what, here's what Peter's saying to believers. The salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, when we're born again, there's nothing else that needs to be done for you to be saved. When Jesus comes back, whenever that is, when you die, whenever that is, if he comes back first or you go to meet him, whenever that is, your salvation is going to be ready. It's ready now. When you give your life to Jesus, if that happens right now while you're watching this service in your house or your car or your den, what you receive is a salvation that's ready to save you when you go out into eternity. It's prepared, it's complete, it's done, it's there waiting. There's nothing else for Jesus to pay. There's nothing else for you to do to earn it. Salvation, it is ready, it's prepared, it's secure. Listen, he says, you may suffer, though you encounter various trials. You may suffer personally, but here's what you can trust in. Your salvation will never be touched by those trials. There's not enough suffering that you can go through that will wreck your salvation. It can be touched by those trials. He says, look, he says, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You may go through some hard stuff, but your salvation won't be lost. He says it won't be limited by time. It'll be there when Jesus is revealed. This letter was written about 2,000 years ago. Maybe it's a year, maybe it's a day, maybe it's another 10,000 years before Jesus comes back. He's saying to us, your salvation will be ready. It's done, it's complete. When you trust him, when you're born again, it's finished. Your salvation is complete. It's there waiting for you when he comes or when you go to him. I'm, I'm not a great camper. I don't know a lot how to count on the equipment, but I have been camping. And, and here's the camping that I did. I said to two friends of mine, I said to Mike and Mr. T, I said, I need you to take our family camping. I said, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to get our family and we're going to show up at the campsite and could you just help us? He said, we'll do it. All you got to do is show up. So we made the plans. We set the date. We went. And when we drove on the campsite, we got there. And, and here's what it was. The tents were set up. The stove was set up. The fire was on. Uh, the, the lights were strung. It was all there waiting for us when we got there. It was already prepared. It was already ready. It was a ready campsite. Here's what I'm saying. As we go through life and we're headed toward eternity and we're headed toward heaven, you might be anxious. You might be worried. You might be fretting. You might be saying, I hope it works out. I don't know what it's going to be like. Here's what Peter's saying. He's saying to us, we have a living hope. We have a lasting inheritance. And you have a ready salvation. Now, 
with those three gifts in view, what it does in my heart is it compels me to want to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. You see, when I was born again, when God gave me new life, when God gave me another chance at life, it wasn't for all these temporary pursuits to be the most important. It was for him to be the most important. It was for eternity to be the most important. Our response is praise. He says it here. He says, in this you rejoice. Our, our response to these gifts that come with being born again is a life devoted to him. That's why we go after him wholehearted. Now, how, what does that look like? We won't get to that this morning, but, but it, it, he lays it out here at the scripture. It has to do with how we set our gaze. He says, get your minds right. Look at your salvation. He closes out this chapter and says wholeheartedness looks like setting your gaze right. It looks like obeying his word. He says as obedient children in verse 14, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's saying there's a new life to live. You've been born again for something new. It's look at your salvation. Gaze at the grace of God. Obey him. Be who you are in this new person. And the last thing he says is, is to love one another. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. Well, maybe you can hit rewind on those things and, and, and write those downs. But it, it's, it's where you look. It's, it's how you set your gaze. It's obedience to the word and it's, Loving one another. That's, what it, that's where wholeheartedness shows up. Let me just close by saying this. Fill this in. Let me give you some topics. And you say, I say, um, they, this, this person is wholehearted when it comes to, and what person comes to mind? Let me give you some, let me give you some samples. Um, this person is wholehearted when it comes to hiking. Who comes to your mind? Uh, this person is wholehearted when it comes to hiking. Who comes to mind? This person is wholehearted when it comes to football. Who pops in your mind? Uh, this person is wholehearted when it comes to exercise. Who comes to mind? This person is wholehearted when it comes to their work. This person is wholehearted when it comes to gardening. This person is wholehearted when it comes to kids. This person is wholehearted when it comes to Jesus. Who comes to mind? Is, 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 is my conviction today in my life that I can't be wholehearted about all these things that I've listed out and live a life that honors Christ what are you saying 
we first have got to be wholehearted when it comes to Jesus. You see, when, he, when we're wholehearted about Christ, we put him in the center and all these other things, they get scheduled around our heart. Hiking, we schedule that according to what it does in our relationship with Jesus. Sports, we schedule that around what it does with our relationship with Jesus. If we're wholehearted about hiking but not wholehearted about Jesus, here's what happens. We put hiking in the center and then we just fit Jesus wherever we can around it as long as it doesn't interfere with hiking. If we're wholehearted about football or sports or, or, or any, some kind of sport, we'll put that sport in the middle and we'll try to fit Jesus and his kingdom around it wherever we can fit it. But God's word shows us we need to be wholehearted about what lasts forever. And all those other things, let them work out. Let them be scheduled around being wholehearted for Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would convict us if we've got our heart in the wrong place. And Lord, I pray that we'd, this would be a new day where we'd get you in the center of our heart and we'd go after you with our whole heart. And then, Lord, we'd see, like Matthew 6, says, all these other things, they'll be added. They'll, they'll fit somewhere around you being in the center of our life. In Jesus' name. Now, listen, as you're watching this and we close, let me say to you, if the Lord's doing something in your life, I want to hear from you. And an easy way for you to respond is to send an email to info at watkinsville.org, info at watkinsville.org, or go to watkinsville.org slash connect. In those two places, you can let me know of a fresh commitment to live wholeheartedly for Jesus Christ. Or you could let me know that you would like to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or you could let me know that you want to be baptized. Or you want to have a spiritual conversation. Or you have a prayer need. I'd love to hear from you. I look forward to that.